Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. You know, we, we began a series of messages this morning on knowing your enemy. And so we wanted to continue that tonight, but we kind of put a little bit of a different twist on it. And um, we're going to talk about the lies that Satan tells about marriage. Um, I, I wanted to start with something that affects your marriage, but affects every single one of us, right? And that really is your associations. We don't often think about how much effect the people that are around us have on us and how important it is to have close relationships with the right people. In Proverbs 13 and 20, the Bible says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, and the companion of fools will be destroyed. You don't even need to be a fool. All you need to do is hang out with one. All right? And the Bible says you'll be destroyed. Um, Jimmy, J- Jimmy Evans is considered a marriage expert. Uh, he's had a television program on marriage for, I think, 30 years. And he made this statement that struck me. He said, divorce is a communicable disease. He said, you will almost never find somebody who's getting a divorce who doesn't have a friend who's telling them, they don't treat you right. You can do better than that. You ought to just get rid of them. You ought to, you've got somebody who's egging you on, right? So the Bible says in Proverbs 6.23, it says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. The reproofs of correction are the way of life to keep you from. And then it mentions the evil woman. But of course, there's just as many evil men as there are evil women, right? And so what it's saying is saying God's word will give you the wisdom to recognize that there are some people you should not give access in your life. You need need to be careful. Don't give them access because they're going to plant a seed in your life, right? And that's going to take you in the wrong direction, right? In fact, it says what will happen, you'll be destroyed. Then uh, we wanted to, originally we were going to start here, so I'm going to jump right in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first few verses, the number one thing in 47 years, I guess, of of pastoring and leading churches that I've had people come and, and say when it comes to why they want to get a divorce is they simply say, I don't love them anymore. I don't love them anymore. So really what they're talking about is they're talking about a feeling. Because Hollywood has trained us, right, that love is a feeling, right? You, you, you see them in your heart. And, and really what they're talking about is they're talking about some sort of an infatuation, right? Uh, sociologists tell us that that can last anywhere from two weeks to two years, right? But after that, it's gone, right? But that's that feeling, that feeling, uh, Several years ago, I was in India uh, with a church planter, and we we were talking, and and he says, let me show you the newspaper, right? So he showed me the newspaper. We're in in New Delhi, 
all right? I, I think New Delhi's like 20 million people, right? And, and he just goes page after page after page after page. And it's parents that are looking for a spouse for their children. It's like a classified ads yes. that just was all ads classified about. Ads. But I mean, there were 5,000 of them. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I said to him, I said, how does this work? And he said, really well. He said, we have a 2% divorce rate. And, 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 and I said, well, why do you think that is? He says, because in America, he says, your commitment is based on feeling. Right? But here, he said, it's not based on feeling. It's based on your word. And I went, whoa, that's different. That's different. Right? So this is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. He says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels but don't have love, right? he says, then really I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And he begins to talk about what love is. And when he talks about what love is, it's interesting to me that not one single time does the Bible talk about a feeling. Right? It talks about decisions. It talks about actions. Right? But not about your feelings. It says, love suffers long. How many know sometimes you don't feel like it? Right? Love does not envy. It doesn't per se per- parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I've had so many people say, that's it. I'm done. I can't bake anymore. Well, the Bible says that it bears all things. Love is a decision to do what's best for the other person. It's not a feeling. And here's the great thing. If you will do what's best for the other person, the feelings will come. See, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is rebuking one of the churches. He says, you've left your first love. And then he says, this is what you do. He says, repent, which means change your mind, right? And then he says, do the first works. Do what you did before, right? So here's what sociologists tell us. They say that for you to fall in love with somebody, you have to spend 15 quality hours with them a week. Right? The problem is you get married and you don't do that anymore. Right? So really what, they're, what God is saying here is, is start doing what you did in the beginning. It's amazing how a young man, he's dating a girl, he brings her flowers, he opens the door. Uh, there's, there's a puddle, he takes off his sports coat, puts it in so she doesn't get her shoes wet. Right? Now they've been married for three years, have two kids, and he won't help him. He won't help her carry one of them through a barbed wire fence. Right? I mean, it's totally different the way that, that they're being treated. Right? Uh, in Proverbs chapter 31, where it talks about the foundation of marriage, right? this is what it says. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. We all, we all, we all know that that is true. But it's talking about how to build a marriage that's going to last. And again, a lot of people call this chapter the the chapter of the virtuous woman, but it really is the foundation for a strong marriage. And this is what verse 
10 says. Right? He who finds a wife, right, talking about her, says her worth is far above rubies. Right? See? You finds a virtuous wife, her worth is far above rubies. Now, here's what he's saying. He says appreciation. How many of you have heard the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder? Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah. Listen, it's a lie. It does not. But appreciation makes the heart grow fonder. Right? And it makes the heart grow fonder both ways. The person who you appreciate and when you're appreciating them. It's so easy in marriage to get to the point where you just take that person for granted. I deserve this. Just take it for granted. Right? But what the Bible says, a foundation of marriage is to recognize their value and to appreciate them. Okay. You either take them for granted or you despise what they have to give you. Uh, you know, you complaining and grumbling and murmuring. Um, really, this is one of the lies of the enemy that says you have something to complain about. You deserve mm-hmm. something better. You don't deserve... Uh, you don't deserve to be treated this. And it's, it's true. You are very valuable and important in God's eyes, and you don't de- deserve at all to be mistreated. But when we demand to be treated according to um, what we think is right, very often, I'll tell you, Dwayne and I got married not because we... Um, we knew everything about each other and felt all this good, good. We had so many feelings of, of, well, (laughs) we did have a few, (laughs) but, but um, since our relationship wasn't built on, on um, the physical feeling of woohoo, Twitter pated, I don't know what you call it, you know, but we knew that we knew that God um, had called us together. So it was after we got married. Then we started getting to know each other. True. And for those of you who don't know, this is this is this is real short. Okay, uh, we had our first date May one. I told her I loved her May three. Asked her to marry me May five. Okay. And we met in that January. Yeah, we were May in the five. same prayer meeting every day. So for so we we months. did see each other on campus. <laughs> and um, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I, I lost. Um, I lost my train of. You, you're saying we were good. At, we got married, and then we found out we to really got to know each other. Okay, and this honoring and showing and appreciating and being thankful for each other and find you can find stuff wrong with how the other person treats you always. So uh, somebody's going to make a mistake, and um, when when you think that. Well, he, he doesn't treat me um, the way you should be treated. Yeah. It's always like, how much stories do we tell? Which sin are you <laughs> going to confess? <laughs> well, I was thinking this morning about some of the perspective that he had um, early in our marriage that... I, I didn't realize before, as he's telling um, the story about how he said, I think we want to move 
I think God wants us to move from the village back into the Guadalajara to teach in the Bible school. And, and I remember thinking, wow, are you sure? Because we're in the middle of doing an awful lot of good things here that, and things we, projects you've started and we haven't finished. And, and are you sure that's God? That's my perspective of what I said. But his perspective was, she told me, no. that's stupid. No, you <laughs> are not hearing from God. Um, and and um, you just don't want to suffer here. Well, the truth was, we were, we were feeling so, we had so much grace to be there, and we loved it. Both of us loved it. It was, it was heaven on earth for us there in the village. And um, so my perspective is, I really didn't say it that way, but I realized when he gave it this morning that when we first got married, I quickly discovered some in, have his insecurity in, like spiritually, I'd been saved forever and in the word of God. And, and he was a one year born again, but knew the word of God from being um, in the family that read the Bible at each meal. So he both had the word, but he just didn't have as much maturity. And I had to really step back and just let him lead. And I know there were different times where I would have an opinion about stuff, but you, I could sense that he was, if I disagreed with him, he'd panic. And instead of, oh, well, oh, you want to do that instead of that? Why is that? Or, you know, instead of having a discussion, you could feel it just kind of, I don't know if you even remember this, but there was that. And I didn't want to do that. So, I, I didn't do the right thing. Instead of really discussing things and learning, you know, what was important to each other, I just quit. I just kind of clammed up and like, he's the boss. Whatever he says goes. I and, loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it brought peace in the relationship. But that's what, when I did disagree, when I said, oh, I don't know about that, it struck him with such force that in his memory, it was me going like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody of here has been my friend for a while, and I, you know I don't stick my finger in your face too much. I'm pretty, I can be blunt, but I've learned that. And when I turned about 40-some, I started having more of an opinion, and he thought, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he did ask me, he said, what happened to you? I said, well, I've had opinions all along, I just haven't shared them. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so that growth of learning to get along, learning to, to, yeah, treasure each other's opinions, and I don't know how I got off on that, something. Well, I can kind of tell you, it's, it's one of the things that we hear when we talk with people, and this is what they say. They say, well, they changed. They're supposed to. You hope you yeah, change from hope glory to they're, glory? They're supposed to grow. I'm going to stay a 20-year-old, think you know it all, but don't. Yeah. And and, and part of it is we really begin to see some of the differences. Um, I'm thinking, you don't know who I'm talking about. Uh, We we were were counseling this couple, couple, all right? And he's like, she is weird. She is broken. She is not normal, right? She is not like me at all, right? Right? Not realizing God made men and women very different. In fact, God talks to, through Peter and tells us, it says, to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. 
And it actually, you look it up, and it actually is talking about understanding women. Now, how many of you have heard the saying that there's two ways to understand a woman and there, nobody knows either one? <laughs> All right. but, but here's the truth. All right. Men and women have different needs. And literally, when they walk down the aisle to get married, they are thinking about totally different things. All right. Now, a man's number one need right, is to be respected or honored. That's his number one need. Second need in marriage is sexual satisfaction. Uh, before he but, goes no, on no, to no, the no, others, no, no, I've got to tell him that, that his need for respect and honor, on the same time, she wants to give it. We're made to, to fulfill each other's needs. She wants to give it, but the fallen woman part of her says, I'll give it when he deserves it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, you could go on that for a long time. Okay, so he's looking for respect or honor. In fact, the Bible says the wife needs to be sure that she respects or honors her husband. Right? Sexual satisfaction, recreational companion, uh, a wife that he finds attractive, domestic support. <laughs> so her number one need, all right, is non-sexual affection. Non-sexual affection, all right? So here's what we do, all right? We interpret their need by our need, okay? So I come home, and Jeannie's washing the dishes, and I go over, how are you, honey? I'm fine, I'm fine. And I say, well, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. And I go, what can I do? Nothing. Just hold me. And she just wants to be helped, but I think she needs what I need. Well, okay, now, I just really want to straighten this out. <laughs> because um, when, when you talk about he has sexual needs, well, we women do too. We really do. It is a need, but it's packaged different. And, and so... <laughs> To say that she doesn't need it, it just, it's involved in the touching and talking yeah. and communicating. That's part of it. Yeah. And so the man so, doesn't see that as part of sex at all. That doesn't have anything to do with sex. That doesn't have anything to do with that part of the relationship. I can ignore you. I can, and I can not say anything to you all day. I can actually even uh, disappoint you but then you should just desire me. Can and the, I just add and the woman in. wants to desire you, wants to be desired. A woman really wants all those yeah. things yeah. That, that draws you together. She, she is wanting to be drawn together to you, but the things that rev her motor are different than the things that rev your motor. Totally. And if you refuse to rev each other's motors right, <laughs> one is going to be revving and one's not. <laughs> And the other one's out of gear. <laughs> okay. And by the way, this is just this is a side note. All right. For the woman, sexual fat satisfaction was number 15 after gardening. But how many think that gardening and seeing your husband serve you by sweating and getting out there and serving and working with you and helping 
It's like, oh my goodness, that will rev your motor. <laughs> so I'm just okay. saying it all. He thinks that has nothing to do with sex, but I think helping di- do with dishes, oh, seeing yeah. your husband hold your baby, change the diaper and burp them, all you young parents, young dads. Man, that just like, Women, yes. Look, but young, young men, listen. <laughs> Women found their husband the most sexually attractive when they were doing housework. When they were doing housework. What a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we need to talk about this because it's really real. This really is real. And to think that, you know, it's just, okay, women, you need to know that very high in one of the needs of a man is sexual fulfillment without discussing that... In marriage. In in marriage, that, that it involves... Meeting each other's needs and it's 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 tweaking the male brain and the female brain tweaking your brain of saying you know it's okay I can I can learn to get turned on more fast like he does when he's been gone and, and not helping at all but I mean we can learn there's a book out the five love languages that we should have read the first year of our marriage, but we didn't read it until we'd been married probably 10 years or so. And we could have had a lot more fun in life having learned about the languages. Um, but really, when we read that book, and I thought, oh man, this is what he, language he talks, this is me, this is him, this is, I mean, very, very specific and now I would say we speak all of the languages. It's yeah. just like any which way, he can wink at me and I receive love. Oh, he <laughs> loves me. I mean, you know, your language, you speak more than five languages. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he shows love to me all kinds of ways. And I, I'm, he's more secure, I'm secure. This is why it's so good to stick it out, oh, yeah. love each other, mm-hmm. learn what, are the lies of the enemy trying to tell you and listen to the word, get in the word, get in what God thinks and choose his way of loving and serving one another because it is so worth it because it gets better and better. It does get easier. It gets easier to forgive. It gets easier to forget. And it's not just a memory thing <laughs> in yeah. old age. Okay. It's, it's just really easier to remember. Uh, the another one thing. of those lies. Another okay. lie? Yeah. Oh, can so, I just say something else? Of course. I'm on a roll. Um, so, well, the very beginning when he said the point, what was the very first point you made about um, associations, associations and, and having to do with all of this, Proverbs 2 says, my son, if you accept and receive my words and store up my commands and turn your ear to wisdom, apply it, the word, he says, if you, wisdom will save you from these ways. Wisdom will give you the discernment of who to be with and and. and it's wisdom. The word of God will give you wisdom. And so if we try to say, God, just guide me in all my relationships, guide me in being a, a more understanding wife, help me do these things. And then we plug our ears and say, but I don't want to listen to your word, God. I mean, not very often do people think that this is what I'm saying to God when I refuse to get in the word and that I have the opportunity to hear his word and hear what, he's, what he has to say about things. We're going like, oh God, help me, help me. But don't talk to me. Oh, help me, Lord. But I can't hear you. I can't hear you. 
What are you trying to say to me? We need to take our fingers out of our ears, pick up the Bible, spend the time each day saying, God, I need wisdom. I need your word. I set your word before me. Teach me. And in um, uh, 2 Timothy 3, it says here, 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is one of the most important marriage scriptures um, I think that we could have is to, to recognize I want to receive the word of God in all of its profit to correct me, to teach me, rebuke me, to train me in, in doing it God's way so that I'll be equipped for being a good wife, being a good mother, being yeah. a good everything. Over 20 years ago, uh, I was asked to have lunch with a businessman and we met on 28th Street at a restaurant. And we sat down and, and I basically said, you know, what did you want to talk about? And he says, uh, I just want you to know, he said that I'm divorcing my wife and I'm divorcing her because I can't be happy with her. I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy and I can be happy with my secretary. Okay. Now, I, I, I want this. It, here's, here's what was going to happen. If, if he divorced his wife, in two years, we'd be sitting back there in the same, doing the same place because he isn't going to be happy again. Right? Now, here's why. Because marriage was not designed to make you happy. In fact, Martin Luther said that it was like God's way of maturing you spiritually. <laughs> what he was saying was, you get married, you're going to find out that you, uh, you have got some issues. Right? I remember before we were married, we were in Bible college, um, I would study the Bible four hours a day. I literally prayed four hours every day. And I thought I was quite spiritual. And then I got married. And about six months later, I thought, I have backslid. I mean, here's the deal. When you're single, you do what you want, when you want, how you want, with whom you want, as much as you want. Right? And then you get married. And you die. (laughs) (laughs) What? You lay down your life for somebody else. Right? And I'm, I mean, we have married six months, and I'm like, God, what's wrong with me? What's God with me? I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm backslid. And God, I mean, as clear as a bell, it was like God said, no, nah, you were always a mess. You just didn't know it. Right? It, it wasn't that I had backslid. It was that all of a sudden I wasn't living for myself. Right? I remember a, a woman coming up to Jeannie and, and, and saying, you know, I'm ready to get married. And Jeannie begins to pray and said, Lord, I just thank you that she's come and she's wanting to lay down her life. She's ready to give up her own dreams and, and uh, plans for life to pick up the, the mantle that her husband has and his calling and support him and live with him and, and she, serve him. And you could just feel the air goes, <gasps> <laughs> like that wasn't what I asked. And, and I felt it was really God's direction in the prayer because, you know, when you go into marriage, if you go into it realizing, hey, I'm given, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay, lay down, down my life. And- yeah, because that's what it is. So this is what it says in Psalms 87, verse 7. The psalmist said, all the springs or all the reasons for my joy are in you. 
If marriage was going to make you happy, single people couldn't be happy. Right? I know single people that are happy and married people that aren't. Because marriage is not designed to make you happy. And if you're thinking, uh, that's what's going to make me happy, you're going to be disappointed. What you need is you need two happy people to get married. Because then you you, you realize that that person is not going to fulfill my life. That person is not going to make me happy. And another key on this is, when you're married to someone who really is a pistol, <laughs> maybe... You, you know un- nothing about this. No, I don't. <laughs> Honey, I love you. You're amazing. But, but the, um, maybe not saved yet. Maybe you became a Christian and, and your spouse hasn't yet and, or whatever. There's, you think, man, I could take some happiness. I could take a little bit of help to have joy. You do not have to have the perfect mate, perfect spouse to be happy, just like he said. When you know that, you know what? My joy is, okay, say for an example, um, I'll talk as, you know, here's a woman with a husband that's, that's just taken advantage of her loving, giving, so and so she serves him and he just tromples all over her and doesn't appreciate her and demands, uh, very demanding and whatever. She can get resentful and bitter and angry and sad and, and sour and seem like she has a right to be all that. But as a born-again Christian... She can do what it says in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, knowing that from him will be your reward. And she can, in her serving him, see Jesus. Like, you know what? He doesn't appreciate this. He doesn't even notice what I did for him, that I did this and that. that He's not appreciating. He doesn't notice. But God, I think you, you notice and you reward, you have a reward for all these things. And as, as you are able to allow the, the Lord to fulfill your, your need for appreciation, and it works the other way too, men. You have a wife who refuses to honor you and respect you, and um, she does worse than that. She tears you down. You're going to have to, on purpose, recognize like what it says in, in Psalm 91, the Lord honors you. The, Lord, the honor of the Lord is what you should seek after. And one a simple way of being honored, it says in Proverbs that um, he who receives correction is honored. Well, there's a real easy, just go to the Lord. What do you have to correct me for today? And receive the honor from God for receiving his correction. Yeah. The devil will always tell you that there's something you're missing. You have Adam and Eve. They are in the perfect environment, right? His wife was Miss Universe. Perfect, right? He was the perfect guy. They they have no past problems. They have no money problems, right? They have no in-law problems. I mean, like they got zero problems, right? And the devil comes and tells them, God's holding out on you. And there's something better. 
The devil will always try to tell you the grass is greener over there. But I'm going to warn you right now, it's always greener over the septic tank. That's what's there. All right. So one last thought. All right. Because we've heard this so many times. I married the wrong person. I just married the wrong person. If I had married her, if I had married him, well, then things would be right. But I miss God. I just married the wrong person. Um, First, let me just say this. There is no one right person. There is not. There's a right type of person, but there's not a like one person. The Bible says this. You can marry whomsoever you will in the Lord. I want you to think about this. If one person missed God and married the wrong person, well, then somebody else couldn't marry the right person. And when they married somebody, they would have messed it up for somebody else. And they'd mess it up for somebody else. And they'd mess it up for somebody else. You just have one person miss it. And I mean, like half the world misses it. Right? Because it's not like there's just this one person that you could marry and be happy. The Bible says you're at liberty to marry whomsoever you wish, but only in the Lord. So it's saying there's a type of person that you need to marry. Right? Well, you say, I don't think I married the right type. Well, then be the right type. Right? You, how many of you realize you cannot change somebody else? I'm just telling you, you can't. You can't change them. But you know what you can do? You can work on you. Yeah. You can grow. You can learn. You can change. In fact, the, the Bible talks about this. In, in Peter, he's giving instructions to a, woman, a, a wife who's married to a man who's not a Christian. And he says, you just live right. You just live right in front of them. Right? You do the right thing. You be the right person. Right? And when you're the right person, it affects their heart. Right. So anything else you want to share before Um, we just pray for everybody? We we often will get to that point of um, marrying the thinking we married the wrong person when we realize that spouse isn't cooperating with our plan to change them (laughs) or fix them. Suddenly they're not becoming. I mean, most people realize when they get married, you know, we're we're not yet what we're going to become. Mm-hmm. But we really think the other, the, the spouse is going to cooperate and become everything that you dreamed he would be or she would be. And then when it's not, they're not, there's not that cooperation, um, all of your efforts to fix him and make him like your dad or like whatever, you know, then, then there can be that, wow, I must have married the wrong one. Um, but I had written something here, but I wrote it sideways. And then he tore, he, he loves to tear notes. He tore out half my note. Okay, when you quit trying to fix or improve each other, you can enjoy um, the one you're married to. And that was just, you know, when, when we realize, you know what? He's not responding to what I thought I should help can him I, become. Can I tell God, story? you might have something better for him to become. So Jeannie's family, they're farmers. Her dad's a farm. Her dad could take a tractor apart in front of you and put it back together. I have a hard time changing a light bulb. Seriously. <laughs> All right? I am the most unfixed person. I love you. I love you. I, I know. So we get, we get married. The, for Christmas, birthday, I get tools. I mean, 
I walk into a Home Depot and I start to sweat. I mean, I just, I mean, this is just not my environment. But she but I didn't me know tools. that. I thought that's what he really wanted. If he really would express what he wanted, he probably wanted tools. So, and all he so, needed was a how to fix it book. Yeah, so she got that for me. Reader's Digest. Reader's how Digest. To fix everything. Big old how to fix anything book. Right. So, so we're in Mexico and the, the, the shower starts to leak a little bit. So she goes and buys everything to fix it. Gets the book out, opens the book to the page, has all the tools sitting there. I'm your helper. <laughs> and uh, I get home, and, and she literally walks me upstairs, puts me in the bathroom. Says, no, this, this. I, I was trying not to tell him how to do it. I just, because, you know, a man's got to figure it out. No. And so I just left the book open, and I'm kind of watching him, and, and, <laughs> and he starts unscrewing it. I'm like, he didn't turn the water off. And sure enough, he loosens it enough. In in Mexico, there is what's called an ajibe above your house. And there's thousands of gallons of water in there. So you got this water. That's your water pressure pressure. from above the. So I I start taking that thing apart and wham, that thing goes flying past me. It's the wall behind. There is water everywhere. I lose my sanctification. (laughs) (laughs) He, He said some I didn't know if they were Spanish or English. <laughs> they were Dutch things I learned from my grandpa. <laughs> oh, my. And, uh, and I began to learn that uh, he wasn't going to become a, a fix-it man because I was going to help him change and grow that way, that he was going to learn to... Uh, we were just going to... Actually, I was very frustrated because I thought I had to help him. I really thought he just needed my help. God wanted me to help him. And, and uh, if he, to be honest, he wanted to fix things. I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom and I couldn't wrap my mind. So we go visiting an older couple uh, that had been missionaries for a long time in Mexico City. We we're visiting them. Dwayne's talking with the husband. And, and I brought up the question to the missionary's wife there about Martha, or was her name, about about, does your husband fix things? And she looked at me, and she's like, oh, Wayne can't fix a thing. <laughs> he just, he's a preacher, he teaches, and he's great. If um, I want something fixed, I do it myself, or I call a repairman. And I just like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> that was never an option. And it just freed me. And you know what it says in Titus, that the older women are to teach the younger women. And, and we need each other. And it just set me free and enabled me to... Set um, me free. Set him free. <laughs> and, and we make a good couple. I love puzzles. So I like f- trying to figure things out and fix them if I can, and obviously I can't do everything, so we hire a lot of help done, and um, yeah, we get along really well now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, pray for us. Oh, dear. Well, God, we thank you so much. Thank you for all you've done in in all of our lives, not just Dwayne and I, but everyone that hears us sharing tonight that We thank you that you love them, that your plan for them is for good. 
to give them a future and a hope, whatever area that they stand in need of for wisdom, for instruction, for correction. I just pray that hearts will say yes to you, yes to receive from you. Father, if there's anyone who who has never asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life, I thank you right now that they'll just hear you knocking at their door of their heart, that they don't have to be alone and they don't have to be in the darkness. They don't have to be without help, that you're there for them. So we stand in agreement as they say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. I make you the Lord of my life. And I will walk in your way in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for blessing the marriages, blessing the parents, blessing the grandparents, blessing as we just go into this new week and of, of living in a better way to please you, to serve you, and to promote your kingdom in a more powerful way than we ever have had before. And we thank you for changing us from glory to glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.